Well, it's always a privilege to come uh, and be uh, with friends that worship on the first day of the week when we celebrate the reality of the resurrection. And this morning, uh, we want to take a look at a scripture that uh, John gives to us as he shares about the life of Jesus. I don't know if anyone here, have you ever gotten in trouble for doing the right and the good thing? That's a nice way to get in trouble. Peter said that's a way to get, way to get in trouble. So uh, we're going to read a story where uh, Jesus, who was not accustomed to getting in trouble, uh, gets in trouble one more time. So this is from John chapter 5. It says, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. And now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, and one who had been there as an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? His response was, sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred while I'm trying to get in. Someone else goes down ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. Law forbids you to carry your mat. And he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they said, well, who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? The man that was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away from the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well again, stop sinning. Or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. And so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day. And I, too, am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making him equal with God. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we uh, come to you hearing these ancient And for most of us, many of us, familiar words, we ask you to speak to us this morning, your word, for us individually and collectively. 
It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Now, the issue about the Sabbath was that what? God had created the earth in how many days? You're allowed to participate. Six days. And then it says in the Bible that he rested on the seventh. And so as God had interacted with his people, the Hebrews, he had shared that the Sabbath was a special day. And because God rested, they should rest. And of course, they had multitudes of questions about what was work. In fact, they had books written about what was work, what you could do on the Sabbath and what you couldn't do on the Sabbath. And so Jesus challenged their thought about what was appropriate to do on the Sabbath day. And as the scripture says, that that's what really upset the religious leaders. He called God his father. So this morning, it says that God is still working. So I thought it would be good to ask three questions. What kind of work is God doing? And who is supposed to do that work? And the third question is, how is that work to be done? And so to set the stage, I want to read from the book of Acts, chapter 1. Uh, Luke wrote both the gospel and the book of Acts. And so he says, this is a continuation of my former book. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, who he had written to, I wrote all about what Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And then skipping to verse 8, again, it's a familiar verse for many of us. But you will receive power from the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So let's look at the first question. What is the work of God? And you might, uh, if I ask you to make a list, you might work at that. But I want to give you some scripture this morning that talks about what the work of God is. The first is Micah chapter 6, verse 8. And it says here, To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God is what the Lord requires of you. So at least those three things are the work of God, right? To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. Then in Matthew chapter 25, it gives us a little bit more of a prescription and as I read this prescription, you'll see some of the things, certainly, that your church does, okay, and other churches do. And maybe, hopefully, we do on an individual basis. So in this setting, Jesus says, Then the king will say to the ones on the right, Come, and you are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And then he says several things. 
for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. And Stone Church is known for that, isn't it? There's a, a food meal provided. It says, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. So all of these things, as Jesus talks about those that are invited into the kingdom, are about the work that God is doing, was doing then, is doing now, and what? We'll do in the future. It's stuff that we're supposed to be doing individually and collectively. And the third set of verses I want to give you is when Jesus returned home in Luke. Initially, everything was going well. When he says this, it begins to raise a little bit of controversy. So it says, Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. On a Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. And the scroll from the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. So, that's what God's about, right? That's what Jesus was about. Proclaiming good news. Good news is what? Jesus loves you. But it's more than that. Jesus died for you. It's even more than that. Jesus was what? Resurrected so that we can have life. So he says, to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners. Recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. And now this is where he got in trouble. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He was saying, today in your presence, this scripture is being fulfilled. And of course, the rest of the story was what? He shared a little bit more how God uh, interacted with Gentiles in a positive way. And what, at the end of the story, they, what? they wanted to push him over a cliff. But these are things that God's about. Proclaiming the good news, freedom to prisoners. And we might not think of prisoners just as those that are imprisoned in our prisons, but there's lots of prisons, aren't there? There's drugs, there's anger, there's unforgiveness. There's lots of places where people are imprisoned. Recovery of sight to the blind. So I would share with you that I think that at least that's a beginning job description for you and I. That's what God is doing every day, every hour, and he invites us to participate in that. So that's the work of God. So who's to do the work? The pastor, right? <laughs> no, you don't agree with that answer, do you? <laughs> we'll protect your pastor. No, we're to do that work. Ephesians uh, 2.9, and before this it says, you're saved by grace, which is what? A gift of God. It's not something you earn, but it's a gift from God. And then the next verse is this in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, for we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So I have an announcement. Every one of you that confesses that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you all have something to do. You have gifts. You have graces. You have abilities. You actually have time. Whatever else it is that we might use as an excuse that we can't do these things, that God says he's in the business of doing. Sometimes we think that we're not qualified. You know, anyone here? You don't have to put your hands up. I don't know if the nomination committee ever calls you or anything. You say, well, I'm just not qualified to do that. I don't have to. Yes, I don't have time. I did that five years ago. I've done it for 10 years. Anyway, there's some interesting characters that God has used. One of the characters is Moses, right? Moses had killed an Egyptian. He was happily herding sheep for 40 years, and all of a sudden there's a burning bush, and God says, I want you to go back to Egypt and proclaim to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses says, well, I think you ought to ask someone else to do that. And he uses a lot of excuses. I don't know if you've ever said, I'm not good at speaking. Anyone ever turn something down because you can't talk? I don't believe that, but, uh, but some people, Moses said he wasn't able to speak, but we kind of know the rest of the story. God says, I'll let your brother talk for you. Now, how many of you want your brother or sister to talk for you? Not many of us, right? But Moses said, all right, I'll go and do that. David is a person that God used. Now, how many of us would choose an adulterer, one that had the audacity to have the husband killed of the woman that you loved, and yet God allowed David, and isn't it a good thing? You know, God allows you, even though you've made some really rotten choices in your life, you've made some big mistakes, you've been exactly the opposite person that you really want to be. But God used David. I have to watch my watch because I don't understand where time is. Okay. want to just give uh, a couple more quick ones. Peter, and Peter was embarrassed, what, because... On that night, he says, Lord, I'll be with you. And then what happens? I say, are you a friend of Jesus's? Nah, never heard of the man. I don't know if you've ever, ever had a chance to stand up for what you believe, but maybe the surroundings weren't real friendly. And you were afraid of what some others might think. And there's others of us here that are like Peter, but Peter received the Spirit on Pentecost and became a leader in the church. And remember, Paul was a, a vicious one attacking the early believers in the way. It wasn't called Christians initially, it was in the way. And he had, what, a blinding experience. Changed his life. And it really changed how we understood God approached people. God doesn't just approach the Hebrew people, but what? God approaches all people. That was a dynamic new revelation in that day. We all need to hear 
God's grace is sufficient for me, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now the third point, and just real quickly and shortly, how is the work to be done? How many of you have heard about burnout? Anybody hear about burnout? We hear a lot about burnout. Actually, in the church, you hear a lot about burnout. You know, I need to take a year off. When I sat in the pastoral office, you know, I would hear, I need to take two years off. And you know what I would say? I'd say, you know, you can, but I want you to know in two years, I'm going to call you. Because <laughs> your two years is going to be up. And you can't sit on the bench forever. So how is the work to be done? And Peter gives us an insight in 1 Peter chapter 4. It says, And each of us has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's various graces. We're all gifted. Some gifts are more obvious and out in front than others. Some are very quiet. But there's not one of us that hasn't been a gift to help God the Father do his work. And then just a little bit of ministry, a little bit of wisdom, and we'll be done with this part. If you do ministry for God, continually trying to impress God and do all the good things, so God will enjoy you. This person that wrote this says you're bound to burn out and be unfruitful. But if you do ministry with God, constantly finding where God is moving and joining God in his activity, you will last for your whole lifetime. So don't do ministry for God, but do ministry with God. So the ministry is we're supposed to care for people, love people, meet the needs of people, not for our benefit, right? The whole goal is that somehow they might come in the reality, be confronted that it's God that's doing that. And you and I are to do it, but we're not to do it in our own strength, in God's. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, as we look at our lives, we're not sure that we'd invite ourselves to be on the team. But you not only invite us, but you call us. Help us to live into our calling. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.